As Pastor Aaron mentioned, we are uh, in a weekend of Epiphany. This is one of those kind of special days in the church calendar, uh, in the midst of uh, right after Christmas tide. So you have kind of Advent, and then you have Christmas, and then you have the twelve days of Christmas, literally, and then we've got Epiphany and Epiphany tide, which is this little period between now and guess what, Ash Wednesday. It's a weird thing to note, but that is sort of the thing we're looking towards. And epiphany is this word that comes that comes from a Greek word, phanine, which means to appear. And there are, in fact, three stories in uh, the story of Jesus that folks in different kind of Christian traditions use to mark this uh, appearance of Jesus. The first is actually the wedding at Cana, where, you know, Jesus turns water into wine. That's one of those stories. Another story is the baptism where Jesus kind of appears in the river and there is sort of this father, son, spirit moment that comes um, as Jesus is baptized. And this, the story of the Magi is the third. And I find this story to be, it's quickly in the past few years become one of my favorite stories. And it is one of my favorite stories because it is a story about intentions, intentions, right? And I like to think about intentions as opposed to resolutions, right? So, you know, we're in the new year and people talk about resolutions. And I heard it recently said that resolutions are certainly uh, essentially like kind of either or things. You set a resolution and either you did it or you didn't do it. Um, and in the past couple of years, people have talking about have been talking about setting intentions for the year, kind of escaping the either or space and thinking about, OK, what are the dreams or ideas or kind of, um, you know, projects that you want to live into, take steps toward? That's some of the energy that is used to describe intentions. And I think this story is really a story of intentions, the intentions of the Magi and the intentions of Herod. Now, what is easy to tell you is that this morning, I would like to encourage you to reflect on the intentions of the Magi as something to behold and to hold and to reject the intentions of Herod. That feels easy to say. <laughs> what is a little bit more challenging to say perhaps is simply the fact that the intentions of the Magi are actually challenging. And the intentions of Herod are actually tempting. <laughs> Let us get to know these uh, characters a little bit more in the story. So we've got Magi and we've got Herod. We're going to focus on them a little bit this morning. Um, and we'll talk and talk about the Magi first. And, and this is sort of a word that we kind of say in this season. And I just want to give you sort of a, a proper shorthand for Magi. When you when I say Magi, I essentially want you to think Persian royal priests, because that's what they were. Magi, Persian royal priests. The Magi essentially worked at the behest of the royal court in Persia. And they had the job of having priestly duties. They had sort of an orientation of worship that was likely Zoroastrian, which is sort of semi-monotheistic in its in certain kind of ways. And they were priestly. And so their job was to have a bit of spiritual orientation, guidance, and leadership in the royal 
court of Persia. And one of the ways that they did this is that they paid attention to the stars. They believed that they had supernatural ability to read the stars and that the stars would tell the past, present, and the future. And their predictions sometimes might be destabilizing as they might predict a king's death or a new king's ascension, as we are talking about this morning. What's interesting is that in the Jewish space, people didn't like this kind of thing. They were like, ah, you don't read stars. We're not that kind of people, blah, 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 blah. Even though sort of culturally in this time, there was a wide belief that stars grew brighter when people were born. And the more important the person, the brighter the star would shine when they were born. So there's this interesting kind of mythology um, and energy around stars in this time. And the Magi, the Persian royal priests, understood the stars to be things to be attentive to. And then we have Herod, King Herod. King Herod is a puppet king a puppet king from a line of other puppet kings, and they sort of had a family tradition of being supervisors of Judea on behalf of whatever empire was around. This empire happened to be the Roman Empire, and we got to remember something important about the Roman Empire and about the Jews in relationship to every empire, right? The Roman Empire was really interested in just gobbling up as much land as possible at any cost. They were very violent, but they considered themselves to be peaceful. Hence, what we call Pax Romana, or Roman peace. People coming under their wing through violence. And the Jews had a very interesting relationship to folks that tried to take over them. It was called resistance. The Jews had put up uh, some of the most fantastic resistance movements uh, in that time. This is actually where we get the celebration of Hanukkah from. That was a resistance against um, the Greek monarchy at the time. Um, and so a lot of Herod's responsibility was essentially to tamp down resistance. All these little pockets of movements that would pop up in order to try and challenge kind of the Roman rule that was ascending and spreading around them. Herod's job was to, by force, squash all that. What you also need to know about Herod is that he was likely ethnically Arab, uh, but he grew up a Jew. So Herod is Jewish. <laughs> we don't ever talk about that. But that will become interesting as we consider this tale. Herod was installed to keep Roman peace among these Jewish folks who were woke to their oppression and occasionally developed an appetite for resistance. So we are going to explore the intentions of Herod and the intentions of the Magi and see what we can kind of discover and reflect on this morning. I think what's interesting to me about the Magi is that is, as I noted, their attentiveness. They have a sense that the heavens speak. The stars tell a story. And the stars in this moment have told this story of the birth of the king of the Jews. Now, you have to remember also that the Persian Empire and the Jews have had a relationship. At some point, uh, the Persian Empire actually kind of overtook the Jews. 
But then they built a relationship, and in fact, Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilt the temple under the Persian Empire. So this relationship is somewhat, you know, friendly. So when these Persian royal priests see, oh, there's a new king of the Jews, they are excited. They have a story and a history with the Jewish people, and they understand, oh, if there's a new king of the Jews, this must be a new, exciting moment for them. And so these priests, they're going to actually kind of celebrate with the Jewish people, your new king is here. This must mean something significant for you. And it could mean something significant for us because we know what your God is like. We know what your God is like. And so if there's a new king of the Jews, what might God be doing, your God be doing in our world? Their posture is excitement and curiosity and honor and worship because not only are they excited, but they want to put forth their physical resources to be able to go and see this king and honor him. It's not enough for them to be like, oh, that's great for you. They're thinking, oh, this might be great for us. So they put their bodies up as a part of their intention to honor this moment that the stars are clearly speaking about what this king might mean. And then there's Herod. Herod, the king of the Jews, who just wants to survive, my friends. I think Herod just wants to survive because Herod is Jewish. Herod has grown up Jewish. Herod has been raised Jewish. And Herod knows what the history has been like between Jews and the various empires around them. And Herod's thought is, well, the only way we survive is by becoming friendly with the empires that overtake us. Obviously, we can't resist them. So let's just overtake them. That is the energy with which he has been raised. His dad was a king. He was a governor. He became king. This is Herod's intention to survive. He wants to survive personally. He wants his people to survive. And he thinks the way that that happens is essentially to adopt the dreams and the visions of the Roman Empire as their own. One of the other things Herod did was he built a lot of Roman statues in Judea, again, in order to erect monuments and artifacts that would allow this people to understand these dreams must become our dreams if we are going to survive. So when Herod hears, oh, there's a new king of the Jews born, Herod goes into DEFCON mode. Herod is thinking this is a national emergency because this is just another one of those resistance movements that I am equipped to tamp down, to squash. And so that's what Herod is thinking. We must survive. This resistance movement is gonna be a threat to my personal life and to the life of all of these people. So I must crush it by any means necessary. And Herod has been given the resources to crush things by any means necessary because he is the puppet king of an empire that also crushes things by any means necessary. Herod is intent on finding this alternate king and doing whatever is necessary to protect, in quotes, the empire who he believes protects, in quotes, the Jews. And so we have some different intentions at play in this scenario. And we can see how those intentions play out. You see, the way that Herod's intentions play out is revoltingly, 
and violently. Herod clearly demonstrates an allegiance with the intentions of the Roman Empire. I remember the later words of this baby Jesus grown up to steal, kill, and destroy. Whether motivated by the empire's greed or motivated by a fear of the empire's violence, Herod orients himself to the dreams of this empire, which has but one logical conclusion, depraved violence. That is the only natural end to this particular empire that gobbles up land and will eat up people along the way, depraved in violence. And that is why Herod can become so angry and scared as to literally order genocide, literally demand infanticide. Said another way, what Herod actually experiences is an anti-epiphany. He is not interested in the king of Jews in the king of the Jews' appearance, but in his disappearance. This is the only way that Herod feels that he can live into the intentions of Rome, which he believes must be the intentions of the Jews. This is the only way that he can live into the dreams of the empire if this other alleged king is gone. And he would do anything to see these dreams come true because he believes that this empire is what's securing his safety. Now, friends, bearing witness to Herod's depraved violence, I think gives us two invitations. Number one, I think is easy. One invitation is to be alert to the ways that the empire's dreams are calling for depraved violence. We are in the midst of times in which depraved violence is becoming a thing that people think is the right thing to do. This is not new in history, friends. I just want to note, we all think in 2023 that the violence that we are around is like special and unique, and it is not. It is not. But we are in a time where it seems like in various places near and far, depraved violence seems to be a thing that people are advocating for as a just solution to a perceived problem. And it is on us as we behold Herod's witness to look out for those kind of mechanisms, for those systems and for those structures to know that they exist and to speak up and to call them out and to, in some ways, resist them. I think that that is part of what beholding Herod's kind of violence gives us an invitation to do. And I believe that as we behold Herod, and as we bear witness to Herod, the other thing that we must do is consider the seeds and the fruit of those impulses in our own spirits. We must consider the seeds and the fruit of that violent impulse in our own spirits. Friends, we are not immune. We are not immune. It is almost easy, too easy, for us to become people who write off Herod as being extreme while not examining the ways that Herod's tools are attractive.
Recently, I have discovered, uh, due to some reflection, that I am enjoying revenge. <laughs> I like revenge. I like it. I must admit, I like revenge. I'm not really good at like actually pursuing it to its full end, but I'm really good at imagining it. It's an interesting reflection because it be, it comes as a result of things happening near and far in my life, right? A simple example is when I give my children uh, what I think are clear, benevolent instructions and they respond by yelling at me. And I'm like, I just want to yell back. It's like the easiest thing to do. You yell at me, I yell back at you. <laughs> and the power struggle begins, right? A little bit of a broader example, but near to me is um, as I do some work advocating for our church or for other things in the city of San Leandro, I have encountered elected officials and city staff who operate in spreading misinformation or who have treated me with disrespect that borders on racism. And my temptation is immediately to embarrass them. I am. I start thinking of ways to call them out without talking to them, just to embarrass them and make sure everybody knows that this person is a fool. I would. I just. I just am dreaming of like what is the social media campaign that I can like design around these people, right? Yet another example is that as I consider the ways that our country is quietly resigning itself to being okay with black folks, with indigenous folks dying and being poor, you know, all the energy of the movements of 2020 is all died down. We don't hear about the extrajudicial police killings anymore. We don't hear about, you know, all the kind of poverty statistics anymore, even though the wealth gap is increasing. You know, we hear about conversations about reparations, and then we hear the simple fact is that progressive Americans are just as against reparations as conservative folks are. Everybody doesn't want to do it. I become enraged. I instantly want to figure out who is behind our communal, our historical stifling, and I want to get back at them. I don't just want to confront them. I want them to suffer. This, friends, is called revenge. And it feels powerful to, to, to sort of consider the designs of the demise of those who stand against me. And in a moment of, you know, spiritual direction for myself, I asked myself, Michael, why do you like revenge? And it is because I like the idea of having agency, of having power to respond to systemic, historical, or personal injury against me. And I feel the need to get that power because all of these things make me feel powerless. And I hate feeling powerless. Herod hated feeling powerless. Once there's a new king of the Jews and it is written in the stars where he knows the heavens tell of the glory of God, Herod is powerless.
And what does Herod do in his powerlessness with the power to be able to to kind of marshal up an army? Herod, in his powerlessness, orders infanticide. And so when I step back from these moments of personal or systemic harm and I look at the witness of Herod, I see pretty clearly that this violent impulse in Herod and my designing revenge are essentially of the same kill, um, um, ilk. Excuse me. And there is a moment of pause there. There are, however, some other characters to this story. There are the Magi. And the Magi have perceived the ways that creation is telling the story of God. Creation has declared that the king of the Jews has been born among us. And they are guided by their intentions to be in the presence of this king, to do whatever they can to express exactly how important and precious this king is. They spend time, they spend money, they spend their privilege to be able to orient themselves to this moment where they can declare honor and worship to this king and then they choose to value the life of this king above the life of the political officials with which they're supposed to be simpatico by listening to their dreams and then saying no to herod we're gonna go out the back door out of judea Creation and the created order, my friends, is at work telling the story of Emmanuel, of God with us. The Magi pay attention to this storytelling. Their attentiveness to the unfolding story of God's justice, kindness, creativity, and love is what energizes their journey to be in the presence of Jesus. And so I wonder what it would be like for me instead of spending time designing the demise of my enemies to spend time considering how creation is telling the story of God's goodness and justice and love. Because when I sit and, and linger on some of those things, then my energy changes, right? When it becomes meaningful, when we're having a, I'm having a fun moment with my children and all of a sudden in the midst of the, of the fun moment, my youngest daughter says to me, I heard God say, good job, Michael. <laughs> it becomes meaningful when I hear the unified voices around the world of many demanding for wars to cease to the ends of the earth. It becomes meaningful when I consider the stories of children bringing and winning court cases against state governments for climate change, for harming the environment. Children in, I believe it is Montana or Wyoming and in Hawaii 
are saying, no, you cannot damage the earth. And they're winning. I am heartened by the impactful work of people in the city of San Leandro to say we are going to be attentive to the hungry. We are going to be attentive to those experiencing homelessness, and we're going to keep being attentive to that. No matter what mistakes we make, no matter how imperfect the work is, we will continue to make space for those folks to see another day. Creation is telling the story of the nearness of God. And so friends, we have an opportunity this morning and in this time of year. The energy and intentions of Herod are in fact anti-epiphany. They are, in fact, geared toward the disappearance of Christ. The energy and intentions of the Magi, however, of the Persian royal priests, are toward the appearance of Christ. This is the story of Epiphany. And I want to give us an opportunity just for a minute uh, to sit in that story. I'm going to sing us a song just to give us a space to reflect. And then we're going to enter into communion. 